When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The pharaohs of Egypt held sway once, but no longer. They are falling to weakness, and soon, new kingdoms will rule the world. Welcome to the History of Egypt podcast and Total War Pharaoh. This is the tale of Karunta and Supaluliuma II, Lords of the Hittites. The Hittites are a major force in the Bronze Age world. From their cities and bases in Anatolia, they spread across the region, destroying great empires, absorbing numerous kingdoms, and building a mighty legacy of imperial power. And yet, the Hittites are remarkably shadowy as a culture and an organisation. Archaeologists and historians do their best to uncover the nuances of this ancient society, but in the modern world, the Hittites are definitely a lesser-known people. Let's see if we can change some of that. As you embark on your journey in Total War Pharaoh, you have two choices among the Hittite leaders. The first is King Kurunta, who rules his own kingdom along the southern coast of Anatolia. The second is the Great King, ruler of Al-Hati, Supaluliuma II. He starts in the central Anatolian highlands, at the ancient Hittite capital, Hattusa. Both rulers are mighty, with fascinating historical records. But as total war pharaoh begins, they will each face unique challenges on their path to power. First things first, a little bit of scene setting. The Hittite Empire emerged in the 17th century BCE, somewhere around 1650, give or take. The official name that they used for this place was Uru-Hatti, or the land of Hatti. The origins of the Hattians are a little bit murky, and different scholars and archaeologists present slightly different interpretations of the evidence. Simplifying it terribly, a people called Hattians gradually built a distinctive culture or society within the central Anatolian highlands. This is the heart of modern Turkey, not too far from the capital Ankara. The Hittite kingdom, quote-unquote, developed slowly. They spoke a language that scholars call Hittite, which is part of the Indo-European linguistic family. The Hittites themselves called it the language of Nesa, or Nesha. This refers to a settlement in central Anatolia that had emerged in the early 2nd millennium BCE, around the 1900s, give or take. There is a long story behind that, but we are short on time. Suffice to say, in the highlands of central Anatolia, communities and societies gradually coalesced around a shared language and way of life. The early history of this kingdom is remarkably shadowy. There are only scattered textual references and archaeological remains. Scholars have pieced together the broad picture of a Hittite kingdom slowly consolidating its power 
and expanding its borders over the Anatolian highlands. From the international perspective, the first time that the Hittites become significant is when they began to move south. In the late 1600s BCE, a ruler named Hattusili boasted that he had crossed the Taurus Mountains and entered the region which, today, we would call Syria. And going forth, quote, like a lion on the rampage, Hattusili and his soldiers ravaged the Syrian communities. They took valuable items like furniture and beautiful statues, and they plundered the gold and silver of the region, taking it back to their homeland. It was a bold move, sweeping out of the highlands to plunder rich urban communities. The Hittites certainly knew how to make an entrance. Hattusili had gone far. His son would go even further. Around 1595 BCE, a ruler named Mersili I outdid his father in terms of military audacity. In a stunning campaign, Mersili led his army more than 1,500 kilometers from home, over 900 miles. Where did they go? Well, the Hittite king marched from the Anatolian highlands all the way to Babylon. Babylon, in modern-day Iraq, was the great center of ancient Mesopotamia, the land between the two rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates. Babylon had been strong, one of the strongest kingdoms in the early Bronze Age period. By the time that Mersili came along, Babylon's power had declined somewhat, but it was still a significant religious and political center, a tempting target for an audacious conqueror. The Hittites marched some 1,500 kilometers to attack, overrun, and plunder the city of Babylon. The campaign was an incredible achievement. For comparison, this march was one and a half times that of Napoleon's invasion of Russia. And when you consider the difficulties of transportation, communication, and supply within the early Bronze Age, Mersili's achievement was incredible. So yeah, the Hittites really knew how to make an entrance and assert themselves against foreign lands. This would be a common feature of their political and military history. Broadly speaking, there are three major historical periods for the Hittite kingdoms. The first is the Old Kingdom, from 1650 BCE to 1400 BCE, approximately. The second is the New Kingdom, that goes from 1400 to 1200 BCE. Subsequently, we have a kind of spin-off kingdom called the Neo-Hittite kingdoms. These emerged in Syria, and they weren't technically Hittite, but they used the language and imagery of the Hittite rulers as their primary source of imagery. So some scholars refer to this period from 1200 to the 700s as the Neo-Hittite period. Incidentally, if you are interested in a podcast on that, Scott Chesworth's The Ancient World is currently exploring these kingdoms. So that's the broad historical framework. Total War Pharaoh and this episode are primarily focused on the New Kingdom from 1400 to 1200 BCE. This is the age of the Hittite Empire. The Hittite Empire began to emerge in the 14th century BCE, and its most significant figure was a king named Supaluliuma I. Supaluliuma was a conqueror in the classic mold. In his reign, the armies of Hatti marched all across Anatolia, subjugating different peoples and integrating them into the political system. 
they also campaigned across Syria and northern Mesopotamia. One of Suppiluliomar's greatest victories was when he invaded the lands of northern Iraq. There, he defeated and destroyed the empire of Mitanni. Mitanni, also known as the Hurrian Kingdom, had dominated this region for centuries, but Suppiluliomar led a series of bold and aggressive campaigns, sweeping aside their forces and eventually destroying their capital. Suppiluliumar did not march quite as far as his predecessor, Mersili, but his conquests were far more enduring. Most significantly, Suppiluliumar captured and occupied a city called Karkemish. Karkemish is in Syria, near the Euphrates River. It was a significant stronghold and the heart of a local kingdom. Suppiluliumar occupied Karkemish, and he made it the centre of a new imperial province. Following Suppiluliumar's conquests, Karkemish would become the base for a local Hittite governor. In many cases, this governor was actually the son of the reigning king, the eldest prince of the Hittite royal house. So Karkemish was a vital centre for Hittite imperial rule. It's easy to see why. The city is located in a central position, between the Hittite heartland to the north and west, the lands of Mesopotamia to the east and south, and the provinces of Syria and Canaan to the south and west. Karkemish is a meeting point of several great lands. It appears on the map in Total War Pharaoh, and if your imperial ambitions extend to distant territories, this is a vital place to control. The Hittite expansion and the campaigns of Suppiluliumar inevitably brought them into conflict with another great empire. Far to the south, the pharaohs of Egypt had claimed lordship over Canaan and much of Syria. And when the Hittites invaded this region, they inevitably came into conflict with the Egyptians. Suppiluliumar and his successors fought repeatedly against the pharaohs of Egypt. Suppiluliumar himself waged war against Egyptian generals and possibly the kings themselves, and one of his successors, Muatali II, even fought directly against the pharaoh Ramesses II. This conflict, the famous Battle of Kadesh, was a bloody affair around 1287 BCE. Both sides claimed victory in that battle, but the ultimate result was kind of a strategic stalemate. Kadesh is another location of great value to would-be conquerors, but it was located far from the respective homelands, both of the Egyptians and the Hittites, and faced with determined opposition, the two empires seem to have reached an agreement. Kadesh would be the new border. Subsequently, the Egyptians and the Hittites would find a more common understanding. A king named Hattusili III even forged a great treaty with Ramesses II. The Hittites and the Egyptians put aside their differences and swore to be friends forever. Surprisingly, the treaty held, and as total war pharaoh begins decades after the agreement, the king of Egypt, Merneptah, is friendly towards the Hittites. He even sent them food during a time of famine. And yet, inevitably, your march to conquest is probably going to bring you in conflict with Egypt. So, let us now introduce our two rulers, the scions of the Hittite royal household, Kurunta and Suppiluliuma II. 
As total war pharaoh begins, the Hittite royal house is fractured. Officially, Subaluliuma II is the great king of Hatti, but his rule is vulnerable. You see, Subaluliuma's family are technically usurpers to the throne. The king's grandfather, a man named Hattusili, had overthrown the legitimate great king, Urhi Teshup. Hattusili had deposed Urhi Teshup, who subsequently fled to Egypt, but then died there or abroad. As a result, a new branch of the royal family had seized power for themselves, and Subaluliuma II is a descendant of that branch. However, there is a complication. Urhi Teshup's brother, a man named Kurunta, is still alive, and he continues to hold power in his own kingdom. Kurunta is a royal prince. He is the brother of the late Urhi Teshup, who was overthrown. Surprisingly, it seems that Kurunta did not oppose the coup directly. When Hattusili seized control of the royal household, Kurunta apparently went along with it. A great king of Hatti made a treaty directly with Kurunta, and this treaty describes Kurunta as loyal to the royal house. The treaty said, quote, When my father, Hattusili, deposed Urhi Teshup, Kurunta was in no way guilty of offence. Kurunta was not involved in any of it. So my father, Hattusili, took Kurunta and installed him in kingship in the land of Tarkuntasha. So, for his loyalty, or at least his passivity, Kurunta now ruled his own kingdom, the land of Tarkuntasha in southern Anatolia. Kurunta's treaty with the great kings of Hatti determined the borders of his kingdom. It gave Kurunta oversight and responsibility for all the temples in his land. That replaced an older system, where the central government controlled it all. The treaty also established a pact of loyalty and protection between the great king of Hatti and Kurunta. It even allowed Kurunta to select his own heir to be the next ruler of Tarkuntasha. Finally, the treaty determined Kurunta's status as the third most prominent in the royal hierarchy. Only the great king of Hatti and his heir, the king of Karkemish, were greater. With that in mind, it seems like Kurunta stayed loyal to the royal household. Although Hattusili and his descendants were technically usurpers, Kurunta went along with it. But you have to wonder if he was genuinely loyal, or if he was simply biding his time. Here, the work of archaeologists suggests something interesting. Excavators working in Hattusa, the old capital of the Hittite Empire, have found traces of Kurunta, small objects that reference this king and indicate his status at the court. Surprisingly, some of these items reference Kurunta as a, quote, great king of Hatti. That is interesting. Traditionally, there was only one great king in the Hittite hierarchy, the ruler of Hattusa himself, the one who dominated the Hittite political system. Other rulers in outlying regions might have the basic title of king, but only one had the title great king. We have to wonder, if Kurunta was claiming this title, did he have any basis for doing so? 
had Karunta himself invaded, even seized, the city of Hattusa? Or was he simply going beyond his status, boasting a greater title than he had actually earned? Historians are divided on the nuances here, and there are many uncertainties. One scenario put forth by Trevor Bryce is that Karunta and his faction may have initially accepted the coup, or at the very least, bided their time when the new family seized power. But subsequently, when an older king died, Karunta and his faction may have seen an opportunity, and made a bid for the great kingship itself. One argument in support of this is the context in which one of Karunta's records was discovered. Earlier, I referenced a treaty between Karunta and a great king of Hatti. That treaty is inscribed on a large tablet of bronze. Curiously, that tablet was excavated at the city of Hattusa, where somebody had buried it beneath a set of paving stones. The decision to bury this treaty is curious. Was somebody literally burying the past, trying to remove Karunta's memory from public view? Events are still uncertain, and there are different interpretations. If you would like to learn more about this, you can find a discussion in Trevor Bryce's Warriors of Anatolia, A Concise History of the Hittites. There is a decent chance that, historically, King Kurunta, the ruler of Tarhuntasha, made his own bid for the great kingship. If that is accurate, it is a wonderful start to your journey in Total War Pharaoh. As the game opens and you take control of Kurunta's faction, you are the ruler of Tarhuntasha. You control cities and lands in southern Anatolia, and these provide a rich and comfortable home for your faction. But unless you wish to die peacefully in your bed, forgotten by the generations to come, you will need to march beyond your established borders. Just as the historical Karunta may have done, you will need to march north, seizing the mountain valleys and plateau for yourself, in your bed for the great kingship of Hatti. Archers, fire! Was the Sphinx 10,000 years old? Were there serial killers in ancient Greece and Rome? What were the lives of transgender, intersex, and non-binary people like in the ancient world? We're Jen. And Jenny. From Ancient History Fangirl. We tell you true stories and tall tales of the ancient world. Sometimes we do it tipsy. Sometimes we have amazing guests on our show. Historians like Barry Strauss, podcasters like Liv Albert, Mike Duncan, and authors like Joanne Harris and Ben Aronovich. We take you to the top of Hadrian's Wall to watch the Roman Empire fall at the end of the world. We walk the catacombs beneath the Temple of the Feathered Serpent under Teotihuacan. We walk the sacred spirals of the Nazca lines in search of ancient secrets. And we explore mythology from ancient cultures around the world. Come find us at ancienthistoryfangirl.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Opposing Karunta is the great king himself, a ruler named Supaluliuma II. Supaluliuma II is a descendant of that usurping royal house. And ironically, Supaluliuma himself may, from a certain perspective, be a usurper. Supaluliuma II was technically the younger son of the previous king. His elder brother had been the first in line, 
But when their father had died, that elder brother had inherited and taken the throne, only to die himself after a couple of years. So the father and then the eldest son had both passed within a short time, and the eldest son did not have any sons or heirs to succeed him. As a result, Supaluliuma, the second in line, seized power for himself. This may sound entirely legitimate, but records from the time suggests that there may have been some opposition. Supaluliuma appears to have been insecure in his political power, and texts from the time give a hint at what was happening. In one record, Supaluliuma appears to defend his possibly questionable actions. The king says, quote, The inhabitants of Hati offended against my brother, but I, Supaluliuma, have not offended against him. If he had had offspring, I would not have replaced him. I would have protected them. End quote. Supaluliuma seems to be protesting quite strongly that his inheritance is legitimate and he has not displaced anyone, but perhaps he doth protest too much. To guarantee his own control, Supaluliuma demanded oaths of loyalty from his subjects. Again, these survive in texts. One of them goes as follows, quote, I, the oath-maker, will acknowledge only the descendants of my lord, Supaluliuma. I will not appear supporting another man. End quote. In other words, Supaluliuma was clearly insecure in his political power, and to guarantee his hold on rule and that of his descendants, he demanded oaths of loyalty from those who would swear them. You have to wonder if Karunta was among that group. Supaluliuma II's reign was not easy. After taking power, the new great king faced crises and instability along several of Hati's borderlands and vassals. In one instance, a Hittite royal official wrote a letter to the king of Ugarit on the coast of Syria. Apparently, that king of Ugarit had been slow to proclaim his loyalty and demonstrate his obedience to the great king of Hatti. The letter said, quote, Since you, the king of Ugarit, have assumed royal power, why have you not come before his majesty, the king of Hatti? And why have you not sent messages? This has made his majesty, Supaluliuma, very angry. Send messengers with all haste, and see that gifts are brought. End quote. So apparently, there was difficulty on the borders, and not everyone recognized Supaluliuma's authority. To reassert that rule, Supaluliuma spent much of his reign on campaign. In the western regions of Anatolia, Supaluliuma attacked the region of Luca. Luca, or Lycia in the later Greek, is along the Anatolian coast, and this region was perpetually slipping out of direct control from the Hittite rulers. The people of Luca, sometimes called Lucans, were quite renowned as pirates. From the late Bronze Age, we have reports of the Lucans raiding around the eastern Mediterranean, even as far as Cyprus and the coasts of Syria. Lucan troops had previously served the great kings of Hatti with loyalty. A battalion of Lucans had even fought in the great Battle of Kadesh between Hatti and Egypt. But far from Hattusa, in their own isolated region, the Lucans were a perpetual source of annoyance, and perhaps a worthy target 
of the Great King's Fury, Subaluliuma attacked the Lucan territories, and he claimed great victories in that region. Surprisingly, another of Subaluliuma's campaigns was against the land of Tarhuntasha. Tarhuntasha in southern Anatolia was the dominion of King Kurunta, but apparently Subaluliuma attacked this region, and subsequently he controlled it. This may be another indication that King Kurunta had rebelled and attempted to seize control of the Hittite Empire itself. After all, if Tarhuntasha was loyal to Hatti, why would Subaluliuma attack it? But if Kurunta had rebelled, perhaps that would motivate the great king of Hatti's vengeance. We can only speculate on the current evidence, but it does seem that around the same period, the great king of Hatti, Subaluliuma, attacked Tarhuntasha. Whatever his exact motivations, Subaluliuma seems to have been victorious in Tarhuntasha. And subsequently, the great king went further. He even attacked the island of Cyprus. Cyprus, or Alashia, was a strategic point in the eastern Mediterranean. Famed for its copper deposits, the island had been a significant kingdom for centuries, and the rulers of Alashia, the rulers of Cyprus, had communicated with the great kings of Hatti, the pharaohs of Egypt, and many other regions. By the days of Subaluliuma II, Alashia, Cyprus, was probably more vulnerable, piracy was increasing, and many lands were under threat from raiders and migrations. Perhaps, seeing an opportunity, Subaluliuma attacked this island. A tablet written during Subaluliuma's reign describes how, quote, I, the great king, immediately crossed or reached the sea. The ships of Alashia, Cyprus, met me in the sea three times for battle, and I smote them, and I seized the ships of Alashia and set fire to them in the sea. But when I arrived on dry land, the enemies from Alashia came in multitude against me for battle. End quote. Interestingly, this text is the only known reference to a sea battle during the time of the Hittite Empire. For the most part, the Hittites were a land-based power, and they are not renowned for their coastal actions or invasions across the sea. And yet, Superlulioma II gathered ships, sailed across, and invaded the island of Cyprus. Superlulioma's attack seems to have been successful, and Hittite warriors may have occupied Cyprus for several years. Again, their motives here are a little bit unclear. Perhaps they were trying to access local materials, like copper, which was especially common on Cyprus. They may have also wanted access to foodstuffs, like the abundant fishing resources and agriculture of the island. Subaluliuma may have been hoping to rid the seas of piracy, like the coastal raiders from Luka. Or, this may have been a good old-fashioned imperialist project, an attempt to expand the empire into new regions and seize their resources. Whatever his exact motivation, Subaluliuma II launched a daring invasion of Cyprus. If you should take control of Subaluliuma's faction, this may be a worthy target for your conquests. The reign of Subaluliuma II was the last flowering of the Hittite Empire. In fact, for many scholars, Subaluliuma's reign is the end of the Hittite Kingdom. This is down to one significant event that occurred during this period. Sometime in his reign, date unknown, 
Superluliuma II abandoned the old capital city of Hattusa. For reasons unknown, Superluliuma and his court removed everything from the Hittite capital and left for a new city. We don't know where they went, possibly to Tarkuntasha, where Superluliuma had previously been victorious, but archaeologists working in Hattusa have suggested that this removal, this abandonment, was systematic and careful. Excavations in the city suggest that Superluliuma's servants removed everything of value from the old palatial centres, and subsequently they abandoned what was basically an intact city. How many people left and how many people stayed behind? That is unknown. And how long did the remaining city endure? That is also unknown. What we do know is that a few months or years after Superluliuma's departure, the city of Hattusa was destroyed. At some point following his move, parts of the city were consumed by flames. Again, the exact cause is unknown. The old narrative is that Hattusa may have been destroyed by invaders, possibly tribal people from the north, the Kaskians, or perhaps members of that mysterious group known as the Sea Peoples. Excavations in Hattusa are ongoing, and scholars are still reconstructing the history of this city and the kingdom it ruled. But one thing we can say, by abandoning Hattusa, Superluliuma's reign marks the end of the Hittite New Kingdom. It would never rise again. Superluliuma II may have failed to maintain the Hittite Empire, but maybe you can do better. Under your leadership, perhaps the Hittite Empire will consolidate once again and expand its rule over all of Anatolia. Perhaps you will do what Superluliuma's predecessors could not, march far to the south and even defeat the pharaohs of Egypt. These paths and more are open to you, if you are ready to take them. As Total War Pharaoh begins, the royal house of Hatti is divided against itself. In the south, King Korunta is biding his time, preparing to launch a bid for the great kingship of the land. In the north, Superluliuma II controls Hattusa. He is in a strong, central position, but his reign is challenged on all sides. Whichever faction you support, you will be faced with tough decisions. You must seize control of vital mountain passes and the high plateau, try to guarantee your food supplies, and access the abundant minerals of surrounding lands. But controlling Hatti is not for the weak-hearted. Wherever you go, you will face bitter and sustained opposition. Raiders and invaders are waiting to pounce. How will you deal with them? How far will you conquer? Thank you for listening to a History of Egypt podcast introduction to the Hittite Kingdom, as it appears in Total War Pharaoh. If you would like to learn more about this historical period, you can find a list of references in the episode description, or visit egyptianhistorypodcast.com for more details about these episodes. Thanks for listening. <laughs>